0: I think one thing that English speakers think about the show and that Spanish speakers think about the show is that, like, oh, this show is kind of weird. I bet it makes perfect sense in the other language. And it sort of doesn't. So I think setting it in a completely fictionalized place allowed for us to expand on that.
1: Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Isaac Butler.
2: And I'm your other host, June Thomas.
1: June, this week you spoke to Julio Torres, whose voice we just heard, Fred Armisen, and Anna Fabrega about their HBO show Los Espookies." I'm so excited to hear that conversation. But before we get to it, just to drag out the anticipation a little bit longer, <laughs> how are you doing?
2: Isaac, I'm doing splendidly, thank you. Um, I've actually been in a bit of a weird world this week as part of my research for an interview that I'm actually going to be doing later this week and which we will hear on this show in August, inshallah, Um, I have been listening to a ton of audio drama. In the last week or so, I believe I calculated that I've listened to at least 62 episodes of various shows. What? And I I absolutely loved all of them. I'm a huge fan of plays and book adaptations and all kinds of creative fictional audio. But as often happens when you do a lot of anything that is not part of the real world and actuality and all of that I do feel like I kind of lost touch with the real world ever so slightly like this morning a colleague asked me something about a news event and I had to like work through a mental inventory of I had to go through the epic dramas and I had to get through the Indian shenanigans and then I had to figure out what was going on with the lost planes, and then I finally got to the news um, so I know that it affected me but I have to say I don't mind. It was really pretty cool.
1: That's great. You know, for the book, I've been watching a ton of movies. I have to watch, you know, probably five or so movies a week, which if I were a full-time film critic, that would be like, you know, I do that every two days or whatever. But for me, that's a new experience. To have to kind of move everything in the schedule around, you know, watching a movie and then engaging with it in depth and kind of forgetting about the world. And it's it's, it's a very, very strange thing uh, to do. You really are transported to another place yes and it's nice to be able to escape but it's also like oh right yes i still have to parent and i have to deal with you know my parents and i have to you know work on the news and everything like that Mm -hmm. so i'm very excited to hear your conversation with julio and anna and fred Uh, could you tell us a little bit about them
2: so as we'll hear los spookies was fred armison's brainchild and it is written by anna fabrega and julio torres Fred Armisen is an 11 season veteran of Saturday Night Live, the co-writer and co-star of Portlandia, a star of movies and TV shows too numerous to name, a band leader and a stand up comedian. Ana Fabrega is a Brooklyn based comedian who was written for the Chris Gethard show and appeared on Portlandia High Maintenance and At Home with Amy Sedaris and Julio Torres, Wrote for Saturday Night Live for four seasons, earning an Emmy nomination and a WGA award for his work there. And he's appeared on High Maintenance, is a regular on The Tonight Show and Late Night. And his solo stand-up show, My Favorite Shapes by Julio Torres, premiered on HBO last August.
1: Yeah, you know, I've seen all of their work in other guises, but not the three of them together. I I haven't actually watched Los Spookies yet, but you're a big fan, right?
2: Now, this is also where I admit that I did not watch Los Spookies when it first aired. Um, There's (laughs) some sort of banal reasons. One is that I have a very low tolerance for horror. And just based on the title, it sounded like it might be scary. And some of the people in the show, specifically Julio Torres and Ana Fabrega, when they do their solo comedy, I think it's incredibly smart and incredibly sharp But it isn't quite my thing. It's a bit more absurd than I generally enjoy. But when I finally did sit down and watch the show, I absolutely loved it. It's amazing. I recommend it absolutely without reserve uh, to everybody listening to this interview. It's written by Julio and Anna, and it does have some of the magical, absurdist elements that I kind of associate with their individual work. Um, But it's very funny and very sweet and it's very grounded. And Isaac, it is explicitly about the process of creativity, about having crazy ideas and getting together with your friends and making them happen and maybe getting paid for it, maybe. And also, it isn't all that scary. It's I would say that scary things, espantos, as they call them, are what the group of friends is obsessed with. But it's kind of a MacGuffin in the show. Like, it's not scary. It's about the creating of scares for other people. Um, It's really about creativity, and it's great.
1: Well, I have not seen the show yet, but that description absolutely sold me on it. So I'll have to watch (laughs) it and report back at a later point. Uh, Before we begin... Though, since this hmm. is a show about process, perhaps we can pull back the curtain on our own process and just mention that this was actually taped as a live streamed show uh, with a live audience or as live as an audience can get in uh, these pandemic times. And I know there were some slight technical complications on our end.
2: There were. We, we did indeed have some technical difficulties. We taped this back in June. Um, you'll hear me reference Pride Month late in the conversation. And the spooky part of this particular experience was that we had a lot of technical difficulties. Um, Julio couldn't hear what Anna said. um, So it wasn't an ideal experience, but Anna, Fred and Julio were all incredibly game and gracious. And I think the conversation that we were finally able to have was worth the technical travails. Um, But yes, in full transparency, we did have some technical challenges that night.
1: Well, great. I'm sure despite any setbacks, the conversation will be marvellous. Let's go ahead and take a listen.
2: What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's Rules and restrictions may apply. So let's talk about how Los Spookies came into being. Um, Fred, I believe you were involved in that original creative spark.
3: Yeah, I wanted to do something in Spanish and something that was set in a Latin American country, but that didn't focus on that. that, that had a story that was outside of that. And I just thought something with with the idea of something scary, but not scary on screen, more about people who love things that are scary. So it just started from there. And then when Julia and Anna joined, they sort of made it into what it is that we see. So it was kind of, it just came from that and then just developed into something much bigger. And so that, that was basically the, the, the premise of it. I, I like the idea of a group of four there's something about that that I that just always seems really cool to watch, and so that that it just went from there.
2: Anna and uh, Julio, you are the writers and the showrunners, as well as being in the show. Now, I understand that Julio, you can't hear Anna, so you can be completely you can say whatever you like because he's not going to be able to hear you. He won't be yeah.
4: tethered down by mm, my answer. exactly.
2: So, Anna, I'm wondering first of all. I know that you've written comedy before, but mostly sketches or I think exclusively sketches are like character things. How was it to write narrative? I mean, what's effectively kind of a sitcom? How, how was it to switch to that kind of writing?
4: Well, in some ways it was easy because you just think of it the way you would approach any sort of comedic piece. And, it, you know, we just started writing with like, well, what do we think is funny? Here are just a, you know, a bunch of ideas of things that are making us laugh. And then by there, started piecing together what the narrative would look like. Um, and that is often how I approach writing, is just here are some things that are making me laugh and then find ways to connect
2: them. Because this is um, a bilingual show, um, did you write in English and Spanish? Were you both kind of writing in the same language? How did that whole process work?
0: You know... I can tell you how we do it. I I feel like to this day, I am not convinced that it is the right way of doing it, but somehow it is, it is the way that we ended up doing it because the way that, you know, making a television show works, you need, you need to show it to the network. And that is sort of like step one. So then we started writing it in English, knowing that it was going to be performed in Spanish. So it was almost—it's almost like an exercise of having one foot in both grounds because you—you know—we're typing in English, but in our brain, we can hear it in Spanish, and actively make decisions that we know are going to work in Spanish as we as we uh, type in English, and then the the second part of that very strange exercise is translating it back to what was basically the original conceit, but that was never actually on the page. And then that becomes the the shooting script. But then we have the script one, which is in English, which becomes the the subtitles. Again, this is not a model that I would urge other shows to implement, but it is the way that we do it over here at um, the Los Bookies headquarters, um, which is a, a giant building in, in Midtown.
2: Well, speaking of Lost Spooky's Headquarters, one of the interesting things about the show is that we don't know where it happens. It's it's a kind of unnamed place. I believe you taped in Chile, but there are kind of aspects of Mexico, it feels like, in certain ways. Why did you choose to kind of be in a a non-place rather than have a specific setting?
3: It it happened little by little where... The original idea was that it was gonna take place in Mexico City. And as we were, uh, as the show started to develop, uh, it turns out we were gonna shoot in Chile. Great, so we were all ready to go. And then we realized that there are Chilean accents, uh, accents from Venezuela or El Salvador or Panama, or many different places and Mexico. So it just, it was, too much to try to keep track of, like, what what is this place supposed to be? By keeping it a little more, just a little more vague, it just opened up the ability to tell the stories and to have the characters just be themselves, as opposed to trying to do an accent from one particular place.
2: But, you know, one of the things that makes me think of that, you know, a place where there are lots of different accents, lots of people from different places, that kind of sounds like America. Did you ever think about setting the show in the states?
0: Um, no, <laughs> I think I think the three of us are going, huh? Uh, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that yeah. would have been. It could have. We could have
4: shot it so much closer. Uh,
0: no, I think that honestly, I I don't think there's a right answer and a wrong answer, but I feel that um, I think one thing that English speakers think about the show and that Spanish speakers think about the show, is that like, oh, this show is kind of weird. I bet it makes perfect sense in the other language. And it sort of doesn't in, in that, like, <laughs> it, um, it sort of exists in this limbo that, that we have, they have created. So I think setting it in a completely fictionalized place allowed uh, for us to expand on that. Uh, because then if you shoot it, it, the minute you decide that it takes place in a real place, then you have to adhere by the rules of that place uh, in a way that wasn't as exciting to us as just like making up a country.
2: The show is basically realistic but there are these a lot of supernatural and kind of surreal elements that are baked into the premise like Andres, Julio's character, can basically control time and space and and can see the future and can teleport. And Tati, I mean, basically can do anything and also at the same time nothing. Um, But I'm sort of curious, Anna, why you wanted to have that magical element to the show?
4: I mean, it wasn't something that we had thought about explicitly, like, let's have a magical realism element. We just were writing and wanted to be able for anything to happen. And, you know, having a, a it based in what is a more or less seeming normal place, but allowing all these bizarre things or supernatural things to happen without anyone saying that it's weird or it having to be explained why andres can see through the gem just he can see through the gem and everyone knows that and it's accepted and it's not weird um so yeah it just allowed us to do whatever we wanted without having to create some sort of like rigid set of rules that a lot of uh you know that i think you see when when there's in certain like sci-fi worlds it's like very precise rules and ours is just like anything can happen
2: is that how you felt julio did you kind of want to Limit the magic, or did you feel, as Anna does, <laughs> that there were that it effect- effectively was without limits that you could do whatever and, and it would be just fine? Or did you kind of want to have some rules about it?
0: Um, if that is what Anna said, um, <laughs> I, I agree. I um, because the, the the quote unquote magic on it, it's not really magic. It they, they, it almost feels more like like literary devices. Rather than weird things that happen, because it, because really, like the oddities on the show, they go unexplained, and I feel like they go unexplained because you're not to dwell on them. You know, it's not like like a comic book movie or like a like a Harry Potter movie or something where you like there are like these like little rules that you have to learn in order to. Uh, understand the world and because as soon as, as soon as you start making little rules then you you're like painting yourself in a corner whereas here it's like you know the second we decide that it's funny for andres to do this thing he can just do it um and it's there. there's a freedom that comes with it that i think is reflected in anna fred and i's uh individual work where uh, things happen, but they happen because it's fun for them to happen and sort of our, our interiors wanted them to happen um rather than, than like creating this like little box.
2: Fred, you as the kind of person who dreamt up the idea or you all did it together, I suppose Tico was always you, but yours is not a magical character. Your Tico is very down-to-earth, but he also does have some strange things like he impersonates a famous artist. Do you see him as a realistic character or also someone with magical or whatever we're calling them elements?
3: Realistic, but there was one little magical thing that we, didn't re- we weren't able to shoot. But there are things that he talked about that he's able to do, like park two cars at the same time. Like he's got a sort of intuition. And for season two, we've got a scene where he does something that's all, it's a sort of more intuitive but there's a little teeny little bit of magic when, when it comes to parking. Something, it's almost like he could really do it with his eyes closed. And he, I think he just sort of like, you know, he just can envision where a car could fit. We've, it's been in the, in the writing stages of the show. We haven't really quite done it, but it's, it's there. It's sort of, but he's basically realistic, though. He's more uh-huh. in the real world.
1: We'll be back with more of June Thomas' conversation with the creators of Losa Spookies after this. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. One of the
2: things we'd love to do with this show is help solve your creative problems. Whether it's a specific challenge about your work or a big question about inspiration and discipline, send them to us at working at slate.com. Even when we can, we'll put those questions to our esteemed guests.
1: June, since the rest of this interview touches a bit on the actual characters and premise of the show, I thought maybe we could just take a brief moment and you could describe, for newbies like myself, who the characters are, what the show's about, what's going on in the world of Losis Spookies.
2: Good call, Isaac. So. Los are a group of four friends, all very different types of people from different backgrounds and social classes. There's Rinaldo, played by Bernardo Velasco, who is sweet and kind and charming. There's Ursula, played by Cassandra Changherotti, who is really serious and down to earth. Ursula's sister Tati, who's played by Ana Fabrega, is... She really kind of defines descriptions. She's really not of this world. She is the absolutely (laughs) absurdest element in the show. Incredibly funny. And then there's Andres, played by Julio Torres, who is an extremely rich and privileged and gay heir to A Chocolate Fortune. He is not kind of a sympathetic character in many ways. And yet when the four of them come together, it is kind of like a magical assembly of different types of people who come together and, and really make a perfect team. And then Fred Armisen is Rinaldo's Uncle Tico. So unlike the rest of the gang, he lives in Los Angeles. And he too, in his own very different and distinct way, is incredibly creative. In his case, his great passion and gift is is for parking cars. So he works um, for a valet company. Beep, beep. And so he's kind of off on his own, but he also interacts with the core four. But Los Spookies, they get together. They have a kind of a business, although it's just kind of getting going as a business, to create espantos, uh, which translates roughly to like scares or shocks. And so, for example, they stage an exorcism so that an older priest can kind of outshine this younger charismatic colleague that is getting all the uh, kind of the cool points, Uh, or they set up like kind of haunted house for a slightly complicated inheritance scheme. So basically, they're incredibly creative and incredibly committed. And this is really the kind of show where when you kind of explain what's going on, it just kind of makes you scratch your head. But trust me, it works.
1: As you well know, June, I trust you inherently, indubitably, I don't know, some word. Let's rejoin <laughs> your conversation and hear more about their creative process.
2: Working is a show about creativity. And one of the things that's really striking about Los is Spookies is that the four of them, and also Tico in his own way, are really dedicated to creativity. I mean, Ronaldo renounces relationships because he's just so obsessed with making his horrors, making his scares. Is that something that you also all feel that you that it's just so important to you that your creativity that you make other sacrifices? Uh actually I'll make Anna reply to that question if if I can.
4: I mean to an extent I think we're all uh very dedicated to the work we do because we love doing it and if it wasn't our job it would still be something that we're doing in our lives. Um, But I think unlike Ronaldo, I have healthy boundaries for when to say this is my time and this is work time. But even if I'm not working, I still, you know, write and do other creative things just because it's what I have always done.
2: Yeah. Fred, when I was reading your biography before, like, it's not normal to do so many things. Do you also kind of see yourself in in the young people of Los Espookies, who have this dedication and this obsession with trying creative projects?
3: Definitely. You know, it's, it's almost like, it, it seems like it's like workaholism, you know, like wanting to work all the time, but it's every one of these endeavors is artistic. So I just feel like while we can, while I can, absolutely, I just enjoy it. I just like it. But the show to me, or that group, is more also about optimism in being in a group. So sometimes when bands get together, there's no logic to why they should have a hit record. They're like, we're just this weird band, but let's just keep going. Let's just stay together. And maybe somehow we can turn this into our job. And then sometimes that does happen. So it's more about that. Mm -hmm. An optimism about something that doesn't even make practical sense.
2: Yeah, and it needs the four of them to for it to work. Um, it is Pride Month, and I'm, you know, so I'm obliged to, to ask a question about something LGBTQ related. And since, Julio, it's your turn, I'll ask you this question. Um, like, there is something really striking about how just casually queer the show is. You know, a couple of the characters, but also everyone's just cool about it. Does that feel kind of aspirational? Does that feel like it reflects Latin America today? What was the message you were communicating with that?
0: Well, as with the um, the aspect of Latin American representation in the show, there really was no agenda for a message. I think that we made the show that came out of us, and it is a casually c- queer show because Anna and I are both casually queer. You know, it's... Um, <laughs> What I like about it is that that aspect of it is one of many, many, many aspects that makes the show what the show is. Um, It's not sort of like a a reverse TED talk where it's like, okay, these are the points that we want to make about uh, these kinds of people. And okay, so I guess we need a character that's like that and a character that's like that. It's like, no, we we sort of... uh, It's a very playful show and it's very true to who we are and what we want to make. And it's a vessel for the sensibilities of the three of us. And in that mix, there's this other thing. Um, And, you know, why is Andres gay? Well, I don't know. It seemed fun to play. Uh, So (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's what you got.
2: Yeah, that makes me think of something else, though, that, you know, you guys were writing the show and you didn't give yourselves the most sympathetic, characters i mean andres is so wrapped up in himself and you know yeah whereas you know ronaldo yeah. my god ronaldo is the sweetest character on television no one's been as nice I as know. ronaldo ursula is like she's such a great role model she like she will teach you how to get paid but andres is he's just wrapped up in himself and Tati is just so you know weird.
0: what i was thinking i was actually <laughs> thinking how or i mean ursula Is very close to the Anna that I know. And I think that Ronaldo I I actually see some of me in Ronaldo in in sort of his his optimism and his I think Ronaldo is like parts Fred, parts me, it's just like sort of like the better part of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think that Anna loves playing dummies and I really enjoy difficult people. So that that's that's how that happened.
2: <laughs> Whereas Tico Fred is like again he's so sweet, he's so put upon. He will like get along with anyone and make anything work. Like he also is kind of a paragon. Almost like like that kind of person would just be walked over 6 times a day.
3: Yes, and he's got like a little bit of um fear in him too cuz he wants to do the right thing. So there's like his, there's a sort of as anyone who's like trying to you know who's wants to do a good job he's got a little bit of like worry about just getting it right especially with parking cars mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but we kept it pretty simple with him there's I don't think he goes any deeper than that um, tati as a character well first of all Andres as a character I, I it's I do still see him as a good character just because he works with And he's part of a chocolate family there's something about chocolate families that is so it's just like that's good for the world chocolate families you know so he's he's, he's part of a greater good in a way Um, and Tati I I can't put it into words of what makes that character so great but every it just every time I I see Tati I I just is full-on happiness you know
0: Yeah, Tati's sort of like in the school of like a Buster Keaton or like a Charlie Chaplin almost. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. How do you see her, Anna?
4: I see Tati as someone who is incredibly optimistic in many ways and has, uh, to a fault, assumes the best in people and has no self-awareness. And no sense of who she is either and so all of her identity is just sort of like uh like a collage of references of things that she's like oh this is what uh women act like it's marilyn monroe this is what romance looks like it's like a movie it's you know everything's very literal to her um and i think she's very kind and naive to a fault in ways that uh sometimes make her seem like a dummy like julio said (laughs)
2: I would be remiss if I didn't ask about season two. Can you give us any sense of where the show was when you had to stop filming? If indeed that's what happened, what's going to be in season two? Just break it down.
0: Where the show was, uh, geographically, factually, it was in Chile. It was in Santiago, (laughs) Chile. And, um, you know, we made... The right decision in obviously pausing and and we'll we'll resume when uh, it's it's safe. You know the thing I was thinking about in in terms of in the gradient of what's essential and what's non-essential. I think we are safe to say farther down the non-essential uh, a part of of society. Um, in terms of. What season two is going to be like I'm, I'm really excited i'm really excited for when we we resume i think that we uh we expand on the casual oddities that make this world the world um and i i am excited that Los Bookies get to hang with tico more i will uh just just to give you a, a hint uh, uh the the moon will be very important to um this season
2: will will tati have any new jobs or does she have just like a permanent job with Loss of spookies now
0: tati keeps just finding little uh, finding little trenches to dig for herself and, <laughs> yeah. and falling in them i think <laughs> i think you, you you can rest assured that tati will continue to be the tati that you that you know and love
2: <laughs> well thank you so much for making Loss of spookies which is such a wonderful show that um, i have now watched but more than twice and could watch again tonight. So thank you so much.
0: That's so sweet. This was so lovely. Thank you for having us.
4: Yeah, thank you.
1: June, that was such a great and entertaining conversation. And I really enjoyed hearing about their process. I was particularly struck, I have to say, since we've talked so much about limits being a source, if not the big source of creativity, how much work they've done to avoid creative limitations and avoid setting rules for themselves. They've set the show in a fictional country. There's magic in the show, but they don't do any of that kind of world building, rule building stuff that can kind of take over sometimes and really nail you down. You know, the supernatural stuff just works however they want it to work in the kind of great magic realist tradition. What did you make of that?
2: You know, if I had heard their answers before seeing the show, I think I would have kind of scoffed or dismissed it as like retrofitting, not having thought out the mythology. But again, it works. The magical element sort of creeps up on you in a really winning way. And, you know, without getting too deep in the weeds, it also feels like a really good way of kind of expressing or suggesting the role of talent some people have a gift for invention or whatever and it isn't really definable it doesn't really meet rules you doesn't work every single day it doesn't work all the time but it is a difference and it's something that sets them apart and and the magic feels that way it doesn't make sense it shouldn't really work the way that it works but it does
1: yeah, absolutely. And I also loved this kind of connect the dots process that Anna Fabrega mentioned that rather than trying to move linearly from a plot, you know, what's the story? Let's go from beat A to beat B to beat C, which is kind of, you know, when Megan Abbott was talking about her process with the index cards. It's not that. Instead, it's. What makes me laugh? What are the mm-hmm. things that are going to make me laugh in this moment? Or what is a list of things I find funny? And yeah. then let's uh, figure out how to connect the dots between them. It just shows that there's lots of different ways to do this thing we call writing for television. Um, obviously, you're not writing. Uh, A half-hour paranormal situational comedy. But when you do write, June, do you start with the isolated ideas? Are you very much a one foot in front of the other, you know, I have to write the first sentence and I have to write the second sentence? Like, what is your process? And, And what do you think is the effect of these sort of different kinds of processes on the end result?
2: Well, my own process is not one that I would necessarily recommend to anyone else. I always seem to get lost in creating a very ornate lead that I would say eight times out of 10 um, gets thrown out. <laughs> but I also, I've tried, like, why don't I just skip this terrible torture that always gets cut anyway? Like, I, I can't, um, but I it, it's I guess it's kind of how I get into things. Again, not recommended, but it just seems to be the, the habit that I've gotten into. And I do think that habit is really... A big part of the writing process. It's a muscle memory. Um, and so you, it's too bad sometimes that you do things that you wish you wouldn't and that you need to try to stop. But nevertheless, if it works, it works. Um, and it, it, I do think it's relevant in Los Spookies because in their own comedy, Julio and Anna are both really observational. Like Anna's performances are often just her, like being another human being you know, not a particularly interesting person necessarily, but just absolutely inhabiting another person. Where am I from? Uh, hmm. It's kind of hard to say, actually. I grew up all over the place.
4: I come from a military family. So I might say I'm a military brat. Well, the military part is undeniable. The brat part I can make a pretty good case against. Um, but
2: and on I a microscopic level, uh, with that sort of intense scrutiny, control. I don't know, it, like, as I said before, it, 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 it can be a bit overwhelming. Julio too, he works often the same way, like his HBO special, My Favorite Shapes, like superficially at least, it's him talking about shapes.
0: For those of you who don't know, a square is roughly the shape of a door. (laughs) But not quite. It's a little bit more complicated than
2: that. In order but for when you happen, marry or when they marry lawyer, that kind of observational talent with narrative, it it's just really interesting. Um, and as I've said it multiple times, like this show is just this really fascinating connection between absurdity and what seems very basic, very down to earth, a kind of combination of those things. And I should also mention, um, since I haven't at all yet, that there is, in the middle of all this craziness, some very piercing political commentary. Like, for example, uh, Julio's character Andres, he's incredibly rich and he has magical powers like he can teleport or, you know, freeze the ocean, but he can't get into the United States because he can't get a visa. Like, that is really great. And I don't know how replicable their process is or my process is. But in their case, at least, it definitely works.
1: Well, that, that's great to hear. Uh, today, June, we have an advice question from a listener that I thought was pretty interesting. She writes, Dear Working, I have a problem relating to my new job in a publishing house, which I started about a month into lockdown. I still haven't met my coworkers or been to the office, and we've all been working remotely. I'm not sure if it's these circumstances, without the creative spark of collaborating in person, or if it's due to the general sad state of the world, but I've been feeling really flat and down. Concentrating has been hard, and I haven't been at all productive in my new role. I've suffered from depression in the past, and this feels very similar. The company hired me because I'm known for moving quickly and having high energy. But since I began, it feels as if I'm knee-deep in molasses, and I've hardly made any meaningful progress in 2.5 months. I might be projecting, but I feel as if the company is disappointed with my performance so far. My question is this. Do I talk to my new boss about my mental health issues? She is a fair-minded and sympathetic person, and I believe we should be more transparent and open about issues of depression and anxiety. So why do I feel cautious about raising this? What would you do? Cheers and warm wishes. Publisher in name only. June, I want to hear what you have to say first, because between the two of us, you're the manager here. So uh, what do you think?
2: You know, it's hard to say what would you do, because it, everything is so dependent on the company, the culture. Um, and I don't know the specifics of this one, obviously. But I think in any considerate workplace where management cares at all about the staff, everyone understands that nothing or no one is working or doing anything really in a normal way right now. I also will say, though, that I absolutely understand the letter writers uncertainty and maybe even reluctance to say something. I think everyone, except maybe people who work in like state unemployment offices, are worried about their employment status. So I get the just kind of, "Mm, I don't know, the uncertainty. But there is also a heightened concern for mental health, a kind of more of an awareness right now. And unless, letter writer, your gut is telling you that saying something might lead to even greater anxiety, I would recommend that you do say something to your manager. I suspect, apart from anything else, that thinking through what you'd say might help you process it. And as someone who is a manager... I would also say that it would be helpful if you could spend a little time coming up with potential strategies. I don't think this is something where you can think of a potential solution, but doing that kind of thinking and doing that kind of work about what could help you, what could help you feel better, what could help Uh, heal you. um, That would be good. Managers are often horribly overworked themselves. So the more help you can give them, the more helpful they can be. And I would add that given that this is a relatively new job, I mean, it seems like you have a really, you really respect your manager. But if you haven't yet bonded with them, you might want to talk to HR because they often are the best source of information and resources like they they have all that stuff down and that might be a really good help right now
1: i think those are all really really great points so i only offer this in the the spirit of yes anding everything june said because i think it's really really smart um but the first thing i would say is just um not that i necessarily think you are but please 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 Do not beat yourself up for how you're feeling and your lower level of productivity and your kind of molasses-like state. Everyone is feeling some degree of what you're feeling right now. A couple months ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an editor at a publishing house, and he said, I can't do any." editing right now, like the in-depth work with the manuscript that editing takes. I'm just really struggling with that. So I'm doing everything else in my job that's not the in-depth work with the manuscript right now and just waiting till I can really do that again. You know, so you are not alone and hopefully you don't feel alone and so I think that part of what is important beyond the job stuff, and and June said all sorts of helpful things there, is that you're finding opportunities outside of your workplace to socialize how you are feeling and discuss it, so that you will uh, feel less alone about it, so that you'll see how other people are handling it, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. So if you don't have people you can talk to about it, The more that you can work at that, I think, is really important, Uh, particularly it might since you say that you've experienced depression in the past and this feels a lot like that. You might want to consider if you don't already go to a therapist to start going to a therapist and talking to them. I go to a therapist who I see once a week over Zoom. It's been extraordinarily helpful in keeping me on track with my job and with my life. Um, I, I absolutely swear by it. And also, uh, I'm not saying this is what you're doing, to be clear, because I don't know you, but if part of the issue is simply that you need that kind of outlet, that you need that kind of socialization, uh, it might be misplaced to go get it at the workplace. I I, I don't know. But uh, I think June is right that in preparing to have a conversation with the people around you, which may include your boss or someone at HR, um, you'll learn a lot about what's actually going on and, and what you feel able to do about it. And so that that will be important. Um, you may also just tackle practically speaking, want to do some kind of testing the waters friendly thing that is not about like, hey, I'm struggling in this way, but just like, whew, it's harder to get stuff done in a day than it was before all this or, you know, whatever. There's casual ways that you can kind of test the waters before having a more serious conversation as well. Publisher in name only. Thank you so much for writing us. And I hope that this was helpful.
2: And to the rest of our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, please consider signing up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence, and you'll be supporting the work we do here on Working. It's only $35 for the first year, and you can get a free two-week trial now at slate.com slash workingplus.
1: Thank you so much to Fred Armisen, Julio Torres, and Anna Fabrega for being our guests for this week. And, as always, an extra special thanks to producer extraordinaire Cameron Drews.
2: We'll be back next week for a conversation between Ruman Alam and Adrian Tomine. Until then, get back to work.